0: spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer here's a camping hack from
1: ll bean to make your next trip the best yet tired of your tentmates flashlights shining in your eyes in camp bring an empty half gallon milk jug or clear water bottle simply strap a headlamp around it and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light for more camping hacks visit youtube.com ll bean ll bean be an outsider Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the pound for pound podcast here on the fight game media network This is your host the original great Rob Silver and today We have a stacked program, man We got controversies. We've got a Tribute. I want to do to the legendary Jim Brown Um, I will recap all All the fights that occurred Saturday Including the one in which got the boxing world Talking In a very negative light I'll shed my thoughts on that And um, I will bring up one of the judges Who ironically He and I had the same scorecard But it's time for that guy uh, To step down I'll do a brief Q&A session So we're going to recap the entire Day of boxing From Saturday I will do a Q&A session, and then I will do a, a brief tribute to the legendary icon, Jim Brown, who passed away, I believe it was either Thursday or Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, before I get on with the program, once again, I want to tell you guys about a great patreon podcast i'm doing five dollars extra a month the the link is in the description of this podcast it's on the life and times of muhammad ali episode four came out yesterday the the day uh the day before i'm recording this on a sunday so this came out right before the haney lomachenko fight saturday night Four parts, this is a ten part series I'm doing, monthly series on the life and times of Muhammad Ali in which I look at the ten most historically significant fights in his career, what was going on during the time as told to me by my father through several discussions that my father and I had throughout my lifetime until he died way too young at the age of 52 in the year 2000. I will be sharing my thoughts that my father had on jim brown later on in the podcast but what i do is i talk about what was going on in the world at the time what was going on in ali's life and then i give you the link to my buddy's youtube channel vintage boxing my buddy martin from the uk i give you the link to his fight. It will be in the description of the Patreon podcast when you watch. I give you the timestamp and then I ask you to mute your devices, mute your television as I recreate in my own way, in my own style, the blow by blow of the fight. Right now, you have the four fights that are out. Episode 4 came out the February 6, 1967, heavyweight unification title fight between Muhammad Ali and Ernie Terrell. In which they drew 37,000 people in the Houston Astrodome Unreal for that moment in time back in 67 That that just goes to show you the drawing power Muhammad Ali was Episode 1 was his Phantom Punch first round knockout of Sonny Liston Episode 2 was his 12 round virtuoso performance versus Floyd Patterson Episode 3 was What my father said was his greatest performance, his third round knockout of Cleveland Williams, and episode four, his 15-round one-sided beating of Ernie Terrell. And, um... Once again the link is in the description of the podcast Patreon exclusive The Life and Times of Muhammad Ali Next month in June It will be episode 5 And I will be talking about Ali's forced exile In 1967 Him being stripped of the heavyweight championship of the world Three and a half years where he wasn't allowed to fight And then I will do the recreation And the play-by-play of his October 1970 comeback fight Versus Jerry Quarry And ladies and gentlemen When Ali came back after three and a half years He went straight to the top He fought the number one contender In the heavyweight division For Joe Frazier's heavyweight championship of the world In Jerry Quarry So You guys that are already subscribed to the Patreon Or will subscribe to the Patreon You have that to look forward to Now on to Saturday First we go out to Ireland Shout out to my buddy Duan, um Long time Fight Game Media contributor Great, great, great Irish boxing fan Real good dude A gentleman and a scholar And shout out to uh, Mark Wren Long time friend of mine One of the few guys that I met on social media Who I met in real life Right. he when he came to new york about a decade ago we had yeah i think it was 2013 we had lunch and brunch and the whole nine and he's a real good dude real good dude great uh great sports fan great music historian the whole nine a uh, shout out to those guys as they were looking forward to this fight a very good fight and kudos to Chantel cameron she proved me wrong i thought Katie Taylor, who I consider the second greatest female fighter of all time after Clarissa Shields, was going to do enough to beat Cameron because she always finds a way to win. Well, no. Chantel outboxed, outhustled, and outfought Katie Taylor to win a well-deserved majority decision to end Katie Taylor's undefeated streak and to set herself up and to set her legacy in stone. Kudos to Chantel Cameron For a career Signifying A career defining win And no disgrace to Katie Taylor Not everybody can wind up undefeated And Katie Taylor has a couple options She still has That mega rematch Versus Amanda Serrano On the table that she could have And maybe after that fight Katie It's time for you to hang it up Because you've had an historic career Okay Now we go uh, to Saturday night's uh, card. First, the knockout of the year. The knockout of the year, without a doubt, was Jutu Nakatani's 12th round spectacular left cross onto the chin of Andrew Maloney. Knocking him out and winning one of the alphabet criminal cartel um, sanctioning bodies at uh, uh, world titles at 115 pounds. Like I mentioned on Twitter. Japan has some of the greatest fighters in the world right now. And you have, of course, I'm gonna I'm putting Nakatani there. In my opinion, the best fighter in the world is Monster and Noe, Inoue and Inoue, And then we also have Kenshiro Taraji. Those are three of the best fighters in the world. Those are three guys that are great technicians who can knock you the fuck out. They got great power and They do everything off their jab Nakatani was landing that uppercut Both uppercuts all night long And Just beat Maloney Now Maloney fought well late in the fight And he won a few rounds late in the fight Which I was shocked But beginning with the 10th and 11th round Nakatani got his second win And then in the 12th round It was lights out with that picture Perfect left cross I think the ESPN and the Zone announcers listen to this podcast. Why? Because whenever I go on a tirade about them, not knowing the difference between a hook and a cross, the following week they play it safe by saying, "Oh, what a left hand." Testator said left hand. He didn't say left hook, like he mentioned the week before on a prior fight. <laughs> Happy price Priceline Alright, then we go to the undercard Of the pay-per-view Raymond muratella was very, very impressive In knocking out Jeremiah Nakatila uh, Excellent stoppage by the referee He did a great job in stopping that fight Because he was out on his feet Up against the ropes the, 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 the turnbuckle was the only thing The ring post was the only thing Holding up Nakatila a great win for Muratala, who is now a major factor in the talent-laden 135-pound division. The most talented division in boxing. It's not even close. And later on, I'll answer a question from one of the listeners who asked me where I rank David Haney now after what happened Saturday night. I gave my rankings two weeks ago. Oh, no, a month ago after the tank Garcia fight. Well, now I got to redo the rankings, and um, uh, Muratala, Muratala, Murataya is now right there alongside William Cepeda and Isaac Cruz at the bottom. Maybe even above, well, above Cruz. It's between him and him and Cepeda would be a fucking war. One hundred and thirty-five pounds is. Unbelievably, unbelievably stacked right now, and I love it. I love it. Hundred and thirty-five pound division is the only division right now in boxing that is can't that is you cannot skip watching any of the fights of any of the guys that I will mention later on in the podcast as far as my top lightweights in the world. Then we uh we saw we go to the junior lightweight division and we see Oscar Valdez um looking solid in his win his rematch win over adam lopez lopez gave a hell of a, a hell of a, a fight he fought his ass off but he's just not as good as valdez but ladies and gentlemen when valdez fights another elite boxer like he did against Shakur Stevenson, his lack of defense is going to catch up with him um as far as him fighting um, Navaretti next That fight can go either way That that will be a war And it's right now it depends on who has the better chin <laughs> There will be no defense in that fight right? This type of fight that both men could be damaged Forever Because that fight is going to be a war And now we get on to the main event The fight that has the boxing world buzzing But first and foremost ladies and gentlemen This was not a robbery there were at least four or five rounds that it could have gone either way. Now, I gave the first round to I gave the first round to Haney because Lomachenko really didn't do anything until the last ten seconds when he tried to steal the round. And there was a few rounds in the first eight rounds where I thought Lomachenko was doing that. Haney was landing that right to the body consistently all night long. Now. I understand That Lomachenko also landed his Left a lot His left cross several times Especially after getting hit to the body But I thought the more effective Punching through the first Eight rounds was Haney's body Work and that's why after eight rounds I had Haney winning seven of the first eight rounds Now Four of those rounds Could have gone either way I mean I I if you flip it and let's say because I was thoroughly impressed. I, the, the rights the rights to the body were, were the deciding factors of me giving those four rounds or five rounds that could have gone either way to Haney but if you flip it like you can, like you could you could see, if, if let's say let, let's just go for four let's just say four of those rounds that I gave Haney if we change it around and give it to Lomachenko, then after eight rounds, you'd have Lomachenko up five rounds to three, and a lot of ringside observers had that score after eight rounds, that's why I can't call this a robbery either way, Lomachenko came on strong, he took the knife, he took the 10th, he took the 11th on my scorecard. 11th round, he had Haney in deep trouble I thought Haney was going to get knocked out in the 12th round Then in the 12th round, Haney gutted it out And fought a hell of a 12th round Taking the 12th round And getting the 8th and final round on my scorecard I had to score 116-112 Devin Haney. Now people are screaming. Oh, how could you give Haney eight rounds? Like I said, there was four to five rounds that it could that could have gone either way. I gave it to Haney because of the effective body punching. If you split those four rounds in half, I still got Haney winning five rounds to three. If you give all four of those rounds to Lomachenko, Lomachenko's up five rounds to three. That's why I didn't question anybody's scorecard on Twitter all night I posted I do my audio scoring of each round as soon as the round is over and I saw the people's scorecards and you know what it was that type of fight it was like a chess match then The scorecard came out, and Haney won 116-112, 115-113 on the other two scorecards. Now, let me talk about the the scorecard of the one guy that agreed with me, Dave Moretti. Even though Moretti and I had the same scorecard, he—I don't know what the fuck he looked at in the 10th round. Dave Moretti gave the 10th round a 10th round that Lomachenko completely dominated to Devin Haney. Dave Moretti is 78 years old, all right? Recently— in the last big lightweight fight, the Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia fight, round two when Ryan Garcia got knocked down by a Tank, he scored that round even, 10-10. Two of the worst robberies, real robberies in boxing history, Mark Breland versus Marlon Stalin, April of 1988, he scored that fight for... For Mark Breland He scored the April 1988 fight For Mark Breland Even though Starling totally dominated that fight And was robbed That fight was scored a draw Because of Moretti's erroneous score uh, uh, scoring And then One of the two or three worst robberies In the history of boxing You want to talk about real robberies That fight Saturday night was not a robbery But June 28th, 1991 Jeff Fennick versus Azuma Nelson he scored that fight a draw. Jeff Fennick beat Nelson from pillar to post throughout that entire fight. Too many examples. And those these are just three examples of his horrid scoring. All right. Three off the top of my head. There are more. He's 78 years old, Dave Moretti. And the last two fights that he scored proves that it's time for him to move on. The Lomachenko camp, his manager Klimas... Said, Stated at the press conference That he wanted Moretti removed And the Nevada State Athletic Commission refused Bob Arum You're the promoter of this fight You're the promoter for both fighters How do you allow the Nevada State Athletic Commission Which you have huge Huge pull with To bully Your fighters Your fighter Your your fighter's manager And your promotion to saying no Moretti's one of our best judges He ain't going nowhere What the fuck this has to stop. That's the one problem I have with this fight. Is And with Nevada State of the Commission is they use the same judges over and over again. And I'm sick and tired of seeing Dave Moretti, his senile, old, decrepit ass. I was nine years old in 1977 when Dave Moretti first started judging fights. I'm 55 now. That means... That this man has been judging for as long as I've been watching boxing. It's time for him to stop. Give it up. Put his ass out to pasture. He shouldn't be judging anymore. Get rid of his ass. But the fight, ladies and gentlemen, was not a robbery. Devin Haney, I thought, deserved the decision, deserved the win but i wouldn't argue if if lomachenko would have gotten the decision i would have said the same thing i would not have uh argued because there was four or five rounds that could have gone either way it's what you want it's what you like it's what you're watching in a fight do you appreciate the body punching or do you appreciate the movement and the uh great left counters that Lomachenko was landing throughout the fight. It, it's up to you. It's the eye of the beholder. And I really would like to see what Steve Farhood scored because to me that's the only guy who's scoring I take into account as legit in boxing. Now on to my question and answer session. The, oh, and, and the very first question goes exactly to what we're talking about, the lightweight division. Malcolm, excellent on Twitter. Ask what you think of the fight and where do you rank Haney within that class? Well, I already mentioned. I'm not going to go over with the fight again. I already gave you a detail that. But where do I rank with Haney in the in the lightweight division? This is where I'm going to rank Haney in the lightweight division. He's the undisputed lightweight champion. And I don't know if he's going to fight Chico Stevenson next or move up to a junior welterweight and fight the winner of Lopez versus uh, Josh Taylor. Taylor Lopez versus Josh Taylor. That's happened in a couple of weeks at Madison Square Garden. Now, either way, right as of this moment, he is the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. Whether you like it or not, whether you thought Lomachenko got jerked, whether you thought Lomachenko should have won. He's the lightweight champion But I have to move him down A couple of pegs at lightweight Right now, my number one fighter At 135 pounds is Tank Davis Because he was more impressive with By knocking out Ryan Garcia Than Haney was against Lomachenko So I got Tank number one At number two I'm moving Shakur Stevenson All the way up to number two I got Haney three I got Lomachenko, four. I got Frank Martin, five. I've got William Cepeda, six. Raymond Murataya, seventh. And right now, I'll I'll leave it at that. It's a stacked division. There's so many good. I just mentioned seven very good to great fighters. All right. All right, uh, I had Lomachenko. I think six last time. I'm moving up to fourth because Lomachenko showed in this fight against Haney that he still has a lot of ta- a lot of left in the tank at 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 35. And let's say Haney moves up to 140, and Lomachenko has to fight Shakur for one of the vacant titles. That's a great fight. That's a great fight. Two softball technicians, two tremendous fighters, and. I'll save my thoughts about who would win that fight if and when it occurs. Now, on to the next question. By the way, Malcolm, great question as always. Um, this is like the second or third question you've given to me on the pod. Um, please send me more because they're always well thought out, well done. All right, my next question. Let me see. LL School K has a few questions. One question he asked was Was Jake LaMotta the greatest jobber fighter of all time? Greatest journeyman uh, LL Jake Lamada was not a journeyman he was Not a jobber Jake Lamada was a Legitimate all time great fighter He's in the international boxing hall of fame Deservedly so one of the greatest Inside fighters of all time And he was the first man to beat Sugar Ray Robinson now Robinson beat him five times but still J- He knocked Robinson out the ring In the fight he beat uh, Sugar Ray Robinson and in their Sixth and final fight and the fight is on YouTube. It's called the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre: Lamotta versus Robinson Six. For the first half of the fight, Lamotta was out jabbing Robinson and getting inside. And then once Robinson uh, maintained control late in the fight, he gave Lamotta a beating until the referee finally had to stop the fight. Lamotta wouldn't go down. This is how great Jake Lamotta was, LL. In six fights against Sugar Ray Robinson, Robinson never knocked him down one time, but Lamotta knocked down Robinson. And he was the first man to Legitimately defeat Sugar Robinson And there's no Footage of a few other fights Of the other fights but according to So called uh, uh, Historians There was a couple of those fights that could have gone either way I don't know because I don't have footage Of any of those fights the only fight I have footage of In its entirety in my Very extensive uh, Boxing tape and DVD library is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre which was a great fight and LaMotta gave Robinson hell for the first half of that fight watch LaMotta, LaMotta was, was one of the best at jabbing his way inside a tremendous left jab for a guy who was small for the division. So, no, Jake Lamada is not the greatest journeyman job of all time. But, in my opinion, the greatest journeyman job of all time was Emmanuel Augustus, formerly known as Emmanuel Burton. He gave everybody hell. He was robbed several times. There was a fight against Courtney Burton. About uh, that Courtney Burton fight, I believe, occurred in 2004. So, almost 20 years ago on ESPN Wednesday night fights, in which. Emmanuel Augustus mopped the floor with Courtney Burton, and Courtney Burton won. And that was robbery. Wins a highly controversial robbery. Augustus won the rematch. Augustus gave Floyd Mayweather one of the toughest fights of his career on a on, on, on a KO Nation card back in two thousand. He even um busted open um Mayweather's lip in that fight. That's another fight you want to go check out. Emmanuel Burton, the greatest journeyman slash job of all time because even though he lost a lot of fights he was robbed several times and he even gave the greatest fighter of the 21st century floyd mayweather hell in their meeting back in 2000 all right um ll also asked my thoughts on arthur abraham arthur abraham was a solid middleweight Uh, He had the peekaboo style. He had tremendous power. But whenever he when he stepped up and fought real good boxes, he got exposed. Andre Ward exposed Abraham. Abraham, Abraham had a solid career, but nowhere near a Hall of Fame career. As when he entered the super middleweight division, he suffered a couple of losses, including the Andre Ward um, boxing lesson that Andre Ward gave him. All right, let me see if there's any other questions on the Ask Rob Silver. Uh, By the way, if you guys want me to answer your questions on the podcast, hashtag Ask Rob Silver on Twitter. Okay, here we go. Oh, LL asks, what do I feel about Ryan Garcia getting with Errol Spencer's trainer, Derek James? It's a great move I agree with you, LL. LL thinks it's a great move It's a great move Ryan Garcia has a lot of natural ability He's got great power in that left hand He's got a solid left jab I think Derek James can help him with his defense because Garcia keeps his head up high up up, up high and That's what uh, Tank and Tanks Baltimore legendary Trainer Calvin Ford had stated by the way Calvin Ford the guy who The wires Cutty from the cut was based on the great uh, Chad Coleman Spent a lot of time with Calvin Ford and that character was based on uh, Calvin Ford Um, I think uh, Derek James could help him correct that and Ryan Garcia is young enough where he could Still have a tremendous career Especially since he moved up to 140 And hopefully, him getting with Derek James helps him secure a fight with that piece of shit Raleigh Romero. I digress. Let me see if there's any other questions before we go on to my historical tribute to Jim Brown. Let me see. Those are all the questions. All right, so thank you, LL, and thank you, Malcolm. And now on to my tribute to... Jim Brown I, Of course I couldn't have seen Jim I couldn't have never seen Jim Brown play football Because he retired in 1965 I was born in 1968 But Jim Brown was the guy that my father First idolized As an 11 year old boy In 1959 When he saw Jim Brown play for the first time On television Jim Brown was the first football player my father idolized, and he was one. In the 1960s, there was three athletes that my father idolized, and you can never tell, them, tell my father anything wrong about these men. Muhammad, Muhammad Ali in boxing, Roberto Clemente in baseball. Oh, four. There was four athletes. Will Chamberlain in basketball and Jim Brown in football. Whenever my father would compare a running back it would be comparing him to Jim Brown. Whenever my father looked at a Walter Payton, my father's my father said the three greatest running backs he ever saw were Jim Brown Walter Payton and Barry Sanders Walter Payton and Barry Sanders Are the two greatest running backs I've ever seen And my father would compare Those guys to Jim Brown And what he used to love about Barry Sanders Is when Barry Sanders scored a touchdown He'd do like Jim Brown He'd hand the football to the referee He wouldn't celebrate He'd hand the football over Um, Walter Payton My father loved Walter Payton Because Walter Payton had a lot of that dog in him That Jim Brown had My father always talked Royally about Jim Brown And and another reason why he loved Jim Brown so much Was Jim Brown was one of the few athletes That supported Muhammad Ali When the Muhammad Ali was And this ties right back into boxing This is a boxing podcast And this ties into my um, Patreon podcast And I'll be talking a lot about Jim Brown In the next Patreon podcast Because Jim Brown helped set up a summit and I'll talk more about it on the Patreon podcast. But he set up a, a a summit of black athletes that came to support Muhammad Ali in his fight against not only the Vietnam War, but against the corrupt boxing officials and the corrupt government officials that were not allowing him to fight. Despite the fact that even though he was conv- a convicted felon at that point in time, he was out on bail, but wasn't allowed to secure a living doing the thing he did the best and 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 and, and that was boxing now jim brown wasn't on board with ali's protest at first but after listening to ali and hearing ali's religious views on why he shouldn't fight brown became an avid supporter of muhammad ali and jim brown and muhammad ali were already close friends Anybody who has seen the One Night in Miami movie knows that the night that Muhammad Ali beat Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship, February 25th, 1964, he hung out with Malcolm X, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke after the fight was over. They were, they, they were four celebrities who all were in that same social circle. It would be like if you had today... LeBron James, Jay Z, and you name a couple of other. Lebron James, Jay Z, who's a huge. Who's who? Uh, I wouldn't even say. Uh, uh Pat Mahomes. <laughs> no, that's that's reaching there. <laughs> and Mookie Betts, all hanging out in the. In, after after, well, we have to add a boxer in there. Um, I don't know Tank Davis. I don't know. You know, back you know. Scratch that analogy, my bad. Scratch that analogy. Forget that. I did a better analogy when I did the one night in Miami um, review on on this on this website. You can go do a search. And I did it with uh, my buddy Garrett, the CEO of Fight Gay Media. So if we if you want to do a real autobiographical movie about Jim Brown. The brother who played him in one night Miami one night in Miami, Aldous Hodge, would be the perfect guy to play him. All the actors in that movie were tremendous. Tremendous. Just tremendous in playing the roles. Especially Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown and Eli Gorey as Muhammad Ali. All right. You you you, you got a sense of how the tension between the four of them The whole nine By all four actors Especially with Eli Gorey And Jim Brown um, Jim Brown was a confidant To Muhammad Ali Jim Brown stayed tight With Muhammad Ali Until the day Muhammad Ali died Jim Brown And I want you guys If you can get a chance Find a copy The autobiography by, by, uh, of Jim Brown Out of Bounds The single greatest book I've ever read On a NFL football player That came out in 1989 Jim Brown was not only close with Muhammad Ali he was very close with Richard Pryor Richard Pryor and Jim Brown set up the first real black funded film studio in the 1980s but it didn't with Richard Pryor as the main star of course but it didn't achieve the heights it should have because of Richard's personal issues. Uh, Jim Brown talked all about Richard Pryor in his book and he was close to Richard Pryor's bodyguard. Jim Brown stopped talking to Richard Pryor because Richard was stealing from the film company. But Jim Brown was so was, was such a huge impact not only in the black community but the world and he also showed that you can retire from football in your prime at the age of 30 and continue to have a great life afterwards to have to achieve more than just the football field because he went to Hollywood he was in the dirty dozen which was a huge film he made more money in the dirt, dirty dozen than probably his entire 8 year playing career as the greatest running back my father said that ever lived in. My father said that Jim Brown was the greatest football player you ever saw. LT, Lawrence Taylor being number two, Lawrence Taylor's the greatest football player I ever saw. Um, Jim Brown did so much Hollywood, being an activist. In 1988, he started a organiza- an organization called AmeriCan. And what he did was he would focus on the gangs in South Central Los Angeles. And he would Try and bring truces And he would help them get out the gang life By by putting them in work programs And One of the gang members Who went on to become A CEO of his own company Said that Jim used to leave His door open in, in Los Angeles His house door open in Los Angeles And we could come Gang members, Crips and Bloods Could come over there and talk to him And it was the safest house on the block Even though he was probably the richest Jim Brown's probably the richest dude on the block with his door wide open. The door was always unlocked, and Jim Brown wanted to show these um young brothers that he trusted them and that for them to trust him and he would help them lead a better life. um I don't know the numbers, but he did a significant amount of work in turning. A lot of young black men's lives from the criminal life to a legit life with the AmeriCan program. Um, Kudos to Jim Brown. He lived a great life. I know a lot of people hated Jim Brown. There was stories of his uh, domestic violence issues and so forth. And I remember in the book, Out of Bounds, this is why my father used to compare me to Jim Brown. at this point and this point only, <laughs> in, the, in the book, Jim Brown said when a woman would reach twenty five, he would dump them because that's when the body started uh, sagging and 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 their and, and their, <laughs> their their figure would go would go astray. And my father's like, ah, yeah, he sounds like you because you do the same shit up until when my father died in two thousand. I was thirty two when my father died at fifty two. Well, pop i'm fifty five now i I don't dump women around the age twenty five anymore right My girlfriend who looks twenty five is thirty seven uh, rest in peace to the legendary Jim Brown. I hope I did his memory justice with this brief overview of a phenomenal phenomenal life, one of the greatest men that ever lived. In the 20th and 21st century, one of the greatest athletes of all time. As my father always said, the greatest athletes he ever saw were Jim Brown, Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, I want everybody out there to continue to be blessed and be a blessing.